Carrie, your prayer was so beautiful because you wept and talked about the difficulty and the burden and the, how it feels impossible. And this goes for being a mother too. It's not all about fathers. But sometimes it does just feel like something that you can't do. And, and we can't by ourselves, you know. We need each other and we need the Lord. Um, but isn't it awesome that we do have a God that we can sing about who is faithful and that we can recognize in ourselves, okay, I've been unfaithful to my calling as a father here, but I can be reminded by the, the faithfulness, the goodness of our Heavenly Father. Or maybe my father was unfaithful in some way. He, he left or he was abusive, whatever it is. We can have that sense of fatherhood. We don't have to throw it out the window. We can have it healed and redeemed when we look to our Heavenly Father who is good and faithful and kind. Well, I've given this message a title. I never do that. I don't trust myself to give messages titles because what do I know? How do I know what it's about? You know, the the sermon. You know, sometimes it's not about what I thought it was about at all. Um, But I've given it a title this morning, and this is it, Mission Minded. And uh, my alternative title is going to be Mission Mindset. Because what I want to talk to you about this morning, looking at Acts chapter 16, and I'm going to be drawing from more than just what Lynn read, but I shortened it, Lynn, so you didn't have to read through the whole chapter. Um, I'm going to kind of just step through little snippets of the passage of the chapter this morning and draw out what I think are illustrations of a mission minded person, of a mindset for mission. In particular, the story here focuses on um, Paul and his companions, Timothy, and then Silas, and there's others around there. So we're sort of asking, what does it take, or what is the, sorry, what does Paul have in his mind? What is his mentality? Before I launch into it, I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word to us. I thank you that this text, as confusing and wild as it is, and um, as challenging as it can be, this text is a beautiful foundation that you've given for us, um, living words of God that, that teach us and rebuke us and encourage us and build us up and, and give us what we need. God, I thank you for the scriptures And I thank you that each um, person here has the Spirit of God working within and upon them. And that you, Father, by your Spirit, are drawing us to Jesus and to yourself. And I pray that this morning as I speak and as, um, as we consider what your Scripture says, that we would all be transformed by the work of your Spirit within us. Um, and that we might increasingly have the mind, not just of Paul, but of Jesus and, and of your mind. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, quick recap. Last week, Paul and co. had gone to Jerusalem, and they'd had a council there where they were discussing and deliberating the matter of circumcision for Gentile Christians. Did the Gentiles have to get circumcised when they came into the faith or not? And they decided, no, this is not a burden that we should lay upon people. We should not create this as a, as a barrier um, to entry. 
Um, but they then did send a letter out and they said, but the Gentiles should abstain from these things, eating um, dodgy food and, and so on. And now um, Paul has headed back out of Jerusalem. And we're picking up in chapter 16 where it says, Paul came also to Derbe, I don't know how to say it either, and Lystra, Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul wanted to take Timothy on this mission trip that he was about to head off on. And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they knew that his father was a Greek. Can you pop the first slide? I, haven't, I didn't grab the clicker. So my first little point here about being mission-minded, of having a mission mindset, is that what we see demonstrated here is a pretty self-sacrificial commitment to the, the, the sake of the non-believer. Like I said, the previous chapter, the church decided that circumcision was not a necessity, and here we have Paul, who was in the you-don't-have-to-be-circumcised camp, Paul taking Timothy and circumcising him. Now, if you just think about that image, like visually, it's quite striking, isn't it? It's not the sort of thing you'd expect to happen in the church today. But why does it happen? It says because the Jews that they were about to preach to knew that Timothy was a Greek. A little while ago, I was trolling through, trolling, not trolling, trawling through YouTube. Sometimes I troll on YouTube too. You guys don't need to know about that. Um, no, I trawled through YouTube and I stumbled upon a video of a guy talking about the question of tattoos. Now, in the New Covenant, tattoos are permissible, whereas in the Old Covenant, they weren't. There were very explicit laws in the Old Testament about tattoos. You shouldn't get them. But I believe that that's okay for a Christian to do. And this video I was watching, the guy was explaining that he had made the choice for himself that he would not get a tattoo. The reason was he felt deeply that God had called him to preach the gospel to Muslims. And Muslims of the... I, I don't know if this is all Muslims or just some, or I don't know all the facts, but... His sense was that some of the people he might preach to would not take him seriously. They would not listen to him if they saw him covered in tattoos. Okay, So he made the choice. I'm not going to do that for the sake of the non-believer. Now, this is a kind of an even more extreme example, isn't it? Not just not getting something, but literally having a part of your body removed for the sake of preaching the gospel. So as to not cause 
offense, so as to not put an unnecessary stumbling block in the way so that, so that these people could hear the gospel, Timothy was circumcised. The, the verse came up, I think Edmund brought it up um, a couple of weeks ago, you know, not uh, all things are lawful, but not everything is beneficial, right? And so that cautions us to wisdom about certain things. And often we probably think about that in terms of beneficial to me, right? All things are lawful. I am permitted to do this, that, and the other thing. But it's not necessarily beneficial to me. Here's another layer to that. Not all things are going to be beneficial for the person that you might want to preach the gospel to. Okay, next one. We're going to whistle through this. I've got seven of them. Starting in verse 6, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia, standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I reckon that discerning what God is saying to us is more art than science and more relationship than art. A lot of us, I think, get um, nervous about the call to share the gospel people, uh, sorry, to share the gospel with people um, because we feel the immense burden of getting it right or getting it wrong. And I think sometimes as Christians we know that sharing the gospel in some way is a thing that one ought to do at some stage. But we can get inside our own minds and become sort of paralyzed or frozen about it. Because maybe we overthink it or we're not sure what we should do. Well... I wonder, and I think I can certainly say this about myself, that sometimes the fear that I have about sharing the gospel with someone, about speaking something of God to someone else, kind of comes down to me thinking that I'm really in charge of the whole thing. What if we had the missionary mindset, that actually it is the Holy Spirit of God who is doing the work here. And what if the Spirit of God was at work within you, leading you and offering you things to say, and the burden therefore was not totally on you, the, the call on you was simply to say yes to what the Spirit is calling what if the Spirit leads you where you should go? And even more, 
I mean, this is kind of freeing to me too. What if the Spirit even stops you sometimes? That's an interesting thing. You'd think that the, the default should just be go do whatever, say whatever, always preach the gospel to all people at all times. I think that's a good baseline. But maybe the Spirit doesn't want you to preach to this person today because there's another person over here. Or they're preparing this person for you to talk to them tomorrow. I'll let you in on a little inner sort of spiritual conversation I'm having with God about someone I know outside of the church. And I felt like God's saying, just just wait, you know, just just bide your not bide your time, but just be kind, be good, be gracious. And it's a challenge because not because I'm super evangelistic, but because there's a guilt-laden part of me that thinks I shouldn't be giving myself that excuse. I shouldn't be saying to myself, you can just be kind and never preach the gospel. But what if that is the Spirit talking to me, and what if he knows what he's doing? Hmm. Number three, let's keep going, let's keep going. Oh, yeah. Now, this one, I think, is pretty foundational. And I'm going to admit to you, it's a little bit of a stretch in terms of drawing the meaning out of what's happening in the text. But an interesting thing happens here that about verse 10, the the narrator stops saying they did this, they did that, and starts saying we went here and we did this and this happened to us. And it sort of happens without explanation. We're not it doesn't say why exactly that change in, in voice has happened. But it does. And so, of course, it's puzzled people for a long time. And maybe people's posited, maybe this is because this part was written separately or dif- you know, at a different time or something. That's interesting. Maybe, and this is what I think, it's that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, had joined the missions team. And it's just perfectly appropriate for him to write, we went here, because he went there with them. I don't know why he didn't say that, but maybe he's trying not to draw attention to himself. I don't know. Anyway, I think this here is, again, using a little bit of broad interpretive license, part of the mentality shift that we have to have. Because when we think about something like mission, or preaching the gospel, or working for the kingdom, whatever phrase you want to put on it, we often think about they. We send them out to do this. Uh, they have gone and preached, da, da 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 And I wonder if one of the shifts that we need is to go from a they to a we. That we take ownership of this thing called mission, this thing called sharing the gospel, that it is not just the preserve of one small group of people, that at some level, it's, I was going to say responsibility, but let's say the joy of all of us. Maybe we need to start thinking about we. Now, That can be a bit freaky because I know that not everyone feels at all confident in doing that. And where do you start? 
And I've talked a little bit about like being led by the Spirit. That's good. But it's also a good idea to have some, some tools, right? So Gary is going to come up now and just quickly he's going to share something with us. And Cindy, Gary and Cindy. Praise God, that's, that's awesome. I love that last, um, just that last point that, yeah, you can't, you can't fail. Like you give him your yes and the result is up to him. Let's go to the next one. The next stretch of chapter 16, verses 1 to 11, concerns the journey of Paul and Timothy to Macedonia, which is where the vision had told him to go. He'd seen this guy saying, come and help us. And it, can, it uh, relates the conversion of a woman named Lydia and her household. So 14 to 16, uh, sorry, 14 and 15. Um, they're preaching outside uh, the city. And one who heard us was named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a, a seller of purple goods. Very royal purple, right? You know, very, uh, who was a worshipper of God. So Lydia already had a, perhaps a, a faith in the God of, of Israel, but had not yet met Christ. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Very important to remember that too. The Spirit is not only working in us, the Spirit is working in the person that we're speaking to. And, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a, I hope this doesn't distract anyone, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe that, you know, the people that we meet are either already predestined to hell or not. Uh, I believe in what Wesley called prevenient grace, that the grace of God is already operating and working in that person's life. Um, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You know, Have you ever been like, has everyone ever said to you, do you want to come over for dinner? And you were like, oh, no, no, no. And they're like, come on, go on, just come on. And eventually they prevail upon you, that's what that means. So, the point I'm trying to make here with this little phrase, consider potential, is that we get told that Lydia and her household were converted. The household would have included relatives, potentially children, potentially older people, potentially servants and slaves, her household was baptized. So when we preach the gospel to someone, when we get that prompt from the Spirit, like, why don't you tell someone about Jesus? If we happen to get to, get to that joyful thing of, of walking with someone across the line, bringing them to Christ, the impact is not just on that person. There is a family around them that's going to be impacted. There's a workplace, there's a, a town, a community, a city potentially, a nation. Now, this was in the city of Philippi. And last year we preached through the book of Philippians. So there was a church in Philippi, and it, it doesn't sort of say specifically, but possibly 
Lydia was part of establishing the church in Philippi. She welcomed them back to their home and they, they heard the gospel. They worshipped together. Now, don't get me wrong. If Lydia was the only person affected by this and no one else ever hears the gospel but Lydia comes to faith, then that is still worth it. Every little starfish, you know, on the beach walking along and throwing one starfish back into the ocean at a time, it matters to each little starfish. And I'm not advocating a sort of strategic way of thinking where, okay, we're going to focus on and we're going we're to convert the person that can have the maximum impact. I think we can get ourselves wrong with that too because... We should just be seeking to share the, the gospel with whoever's in front of us. And in fact, God chooses the weak to shame the strong. And so in our flesh, we might think we've chosen the most impactful person, but the truly most impactful person might be someone that you don't even expect. That said, I think there's some energy and joy to be gained by considering the potential of what it means for one person to come to faith. What it means for their children and their children's children and so on. Next one. Probably the weirdest ministry, well, maybe not the weirdest. It's up there. One of the strange ministry experiences I had when I was at Wintech was laid on a... Thursday or Friday afternoon, uh, I was just about to leave and I got a call from the vet nursing clinic or teaching place at Wintech and um, Suzanne's smiling because um, Emma was there I think at the time, she might even have told you this story and the person on the other end, I'd gotten to know them quite well at the vet nursing school because they're dealing in death, right, and a lot of what they have to do is dealing with dead animals, and so I would go along and they would witness a youth, an animal euthanasia, and um, I got quite weepy the first time I did that, and um, so I got to know them quite well. Well, one component of their training was that they were doing autopsies on dead dogs, and that's very important. It's very important to know what you're looking at, and when people go out into the, into the world, they're used to seeing... Not only do they have the knowledge, but they're not totally confronted by and put off by the sight of a dead animal. That's just reality. Well, some of the students in the class felt spiritually icky about it. I'll put it that way. And they wanted someone to come and pray a blessing. They wanted a karakia. They wanted a, uh, an opportunity to cleanse what was happening to and so I was asked to come and pray for these two dead dogs. Now, they didn't have that in the class at Kerry Baptist College where I trained to be a pastor. <laughs> they, there was nothing about that. Okay? And I sort of had to think rapidly in my mind, is this, is this okay? Like, you know, is this okay to do? Should I be praying for dead dogs? And I thought, these people have asked for prayer. These weren't the Christian students. It was just some of the students. They've asked me to come and pray. 
how can I say no? So I got in the car and I went along and I went and, and they got the dogs out of the freezer, you know, <laughs> and put them on the table. And two or three people kind of gathered around. Not all of them did, but some of them I think were happy to know it was happening but didn't want to be there, and that's fine. What was that? Prayed, I should, ooh, yeah, I didn't, I, didn't have the, I didn't have the mindset to pray for resurrection. Um, well, I prayed, and you know, it was an awesome opportunity, because I thanked God, who is the Father and Creator of all creation, and the one who, who made us as humans to be the stewards of this creation. And I was able to pray and bless these students who, whether they believe in God or not, they've chosen to go into a profession where they get to care for sick, wounded um, animals and, and participate in the kind of thing that God participates in, which is healing and, and bringing life. And so it was an awesome opportunity. And yes, I prayed. I said, God, I mean, they explicitly wanted, you know, if there's any sort of weird like demonic stuff happening. We want that gone. And I prayed against that too because Jesus is like above all that. And so he has power. Now, it was weird, kind of, right? But it was a great opportunity. Now, here in chapter 16, there was a, a young woman possessed by a spirit of divination and she's chasing Paul and his companions around, crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Now this is an interesting story, isn't it? Because she's right. <laughs> they are servants of the Most High God. But I guess similar to how sometimes the, in, in the Gospels, the demons, they recognize who Christ is, but they tremble. This spirit that had oppressed this young woman uh, was still crying out the truth. Paul's reaction is quite funny too, I think. Having become greatly annoyed, he turned aside and said to the spirit, I command, in the name of, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that hour. I'll be honest, I don't have a neat little illustration based on Paul's reaction, but I thought I'd better share what he does there. Um, even so, it's kind of a wild thing to happen. And I think if we step out the way that Gary has sort of modelled and Cindy have modelled for us and encouraged us, we're not necessarily stepping into stories that fit the narrative of easy conversion stories or things that make immediate sense to us. You might be asked into a weird situation, you know? And there's wisdom and there's discernment about that. Um, maybe there's places you shouldn't go, but maybe there's places you should because actually God's doing something there. Well, the girl's owners, because she was a slave, were irritated because they were making money off this um, possession. And so, if you want to move to the next one, Andrew. The, the boys, 
in the missions team are thrown in prison. They're arrested, they're brought before the magistrates, and the crowd, the, the mob, joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, like the Russian doll thing, like the prison within the prison within the prison. And he put them and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now that obviously is going to be a big bummer because you are in prison and your mission trip has failed and you know you can just tell that Paul and Timothy are really, really down in the dumps. Except that in verse 25 it says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. What an awesome response to what you could, in your fleshly thinking, in your, in your human mind, you could think this is our failure. We have lost. We have, we have tried to do the right thing, to preach the gospel or whatever, and here we've been put in prison. But that's not their mentality, and I don't think it's a, a mission men- mentality or a mission mindset, let's say. Their light is undimmed, And in the middle of prison, they sing and they praise God. Now, it's possible they started to feel bummed out. It doesn't, the Bible's not as interested in our feelings as we are. It sort of tells more about what's happening, you know, and what people do. Um, But so it doesn't tell us why they were singing. But even if they were really bummed out, their decision was let's pray and praise the Lord. Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still on the throne. We might be in prison and we might be, you know, put to death. Who knows? But Jesus is alive. There's no reason for me to feel uh, blanked out because of this. But then the story in prison gets even better. And then we'll go to our last point there. Andrew. I think I said this earlier in the service but I think I was just joking. Now, the guards and the prisoners were listening to this kind of prayer and praise session, and then there was an earthquake, and the doors came off, and the things fell off their their feet, and this could be their escape moment. It's even a God thing, right? There's an earthquake, and they could escape. They could run out the door. The guard who'd been commanded to take care of them wakes up and looks and sees that the doors are open and the chains are gone, and it says he's about to kill himself. You've got to understand about Roman culture is it's all about honor and dishonor. If you fail, say in battle or in this sort of situation, the honorable thing to do would be to fall on your own sword. That's a cliche. People fall on their own sword, right? He was ready to do that. Paul, still in prison, but with his chains gone and with the door wide open and with the guard about to kill himself, 
instead of gapping it and saying, good riddance, I'm out of here, says, no, 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 look, we're all still here. What an amazing mentality to be in, where you've been sort of unjustly and violently imprisoned, and then supposedly God does something that would create the conditions for your escape, and you decide, no, no, we're good. Don't just put the sword down. Just, right? This honestly is so awesome to me. Now, verse 29 says the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The kind of mercy and the kind of outrageous love that is possible when we see someone the way Christ might see them is surprising and stunning and people don't know what to do with it. Verse 30, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, the reason that I have this as my title for this kind of point is that Paul had been forgiven a great deal. We know from only a few chapters earlier, he was presiding over the imprisonment, the arrest, and the death of Christians. And yet Christ appeared to him and redeemed him and, and now sent him out. And so I think this... This instance is a beautiful illustration of Jesus' words. Those who've been forgiven much will love much. Those who've been shown mercy will show a great deal of mercy. Of course, Paul's captor, Paul's desire was more for this captor to be well and to meet Jesus than even for him to escape prison. It's an amazing thing to me. Last one. This is just my little concluding thought. Being Father's Day, and I didn't really plan it this way, I've made some statements about the Father, about Him being the source of all things, about Him being the sustainer of all things through His Spirit. And a really, really important and key thing to ruminate on and take ownership of is that the Father is also the one who sends us. And mission, the word mission means sending, right, in the Greek. And when Jesus is, you know, prior to Jesus' death, let's say, I was going to say when Jesus was alive, but he's alive now. So that language is, you've got to be careful with these things. In Jesus' earthly ministry, he said, uh, when you see me, you see the Father. And um, he then said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And this is why I'm... I want us all to have an increasingly mission-minded mind. 
I want to be increasingly mission-minded because just as Jesus was sent by the Father, so we are sent by Christ into the world to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And that does mean going into uncomfortable places. And it does mean taking risks and not being sure if it's going to pan out. And it possibly means facing backlash and you know, rejection and that sort of thing. But that's okay. If we have this mission mindset, if we understand that in doing this stuff, we're not just doing it for our own benefit, but we're doing it because we're sent by Christ to do it, sent by the Father, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then ultimately it's His work And the results are up to him. Father, I thank you so much for your great goodness and kindness and love. Your um, delight in us. I thank you that you've created us. You've gathered us and that you've redeemed us in your son, Jesus. And I pray that as we go, we would go with um, just an added sense of being sent out by you into the world. That whatever place we find ourselves, whoever we interact with, we are not just bumping into them like random particles, but we are sent by you to them. Open our hearts, God. Open our minds to receive and to hear from your Holy Spirit as we go. And may we bring you glory and honor and praise through all of our days and weeks. In the name of Jesus. Amen.